Bienvenidos and thank you to everyone here today endeavoring towards a better, more just future for our country and our world. All right, fine. AOC uh, spoke for a while last night at the so-called convention, which is not a convention. It's a Zoom call. So uh, it's funny. She said bienvenidos. Uh, She uh, used no no Chinese, no Vietnamese, no... uh, uh, I almost said Svengali. <laughs> That's not what I meant. It's, uh, it's she used no African language, so obviously she is a brown supremacist. Um, came across this piece. It was actually sent along by an alert listener, um, and uh, just brilliantly written. And of course, oh, there it is by Yoram Hazani, who's uh, an Israeli. But he was talking, the, the name of the piece is The Challenge of Marxism. And he describes how, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, most Americans and Europeans regarded Marxism as an enemy that had been defeated once and for all. And we could go into the incredibly brutal and horrifying history of Marxism. Um, but, you know, I think most of you are familiar with it. Uh, but then he writes, a mere 30 years, Marxism is back and makes an astonishingly sec- successful bid to seize control of the most important American media companies, universities and schools, major corporations and philanthropic organizations, and even the courts, the government bureaucracy, and some churches. As American cities succumb to rioting, arson, and looting, it appears as though the liberal custodians of many of these institutions, from the New York Times to Princeton University, have despaired of regaining control of them and are instead adopting a policy of accommodation. That is, they are attempting to appease their Marxist employees by giving in to some of their demands in the hope of not being swept away entirely. Then he describes how liberalism is being swept away by these neo-Marxists, as I'm going to call them, um... And and I think I need to skip ahead because it may sound to some of you alarmist to call people Marxists, neo-Marxists, or, or or whatever that I'm trying to scare you, or I'm some some sort of conservative nut job who who thinks anybody to the left of Barry Goldwater is a Marxist. That's not true at all. That's why this piece is so convincing and interesting, and we'll post it at ArmstrongandGetty.com. Um, he mentions before we get to why it's so. I well, I'll just say, I'll say it. It's coming along soon enough. This is so long and so complicated. I've been struggling for the last twenty four hours how to summarize it for you. But where'd you come across it? Uh, it was sent along by a listener. It's in Quillette uh, on Quillette.com. I hear him on podcasts all the time, but I don't think I've ever read anything. Um, anti-Marxist liberals have labored under numerous disadvantages in recent struggles to control their liberal organizations. One is that they're often not confident that they can use the term Marxist in good faith to describe those seeking to overthrow them. This is because their tormentors do not follow the precedent of the Communist Party, the Nazis, and various other political movements that branded themselves using a particular party name and issued an explicit manifesto to to define it. Instead, they disorient their opponents by referring to their beliefs with a shifting vocabulary of terms, including the left, progressivism, social justice, anti-racism, anti-fascism, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, identity politics, political correctness, wokeness, and more. Then when liberals try to use these terms, they often find themselves deplored for not using them correctly, and this itself becomes a weapon in the hands of those who wish to humiliate and ultimately destroy them. We've we've talked about this. The idea isn't that you learn their rules and follow them. It's that they change so much, you can't possibly be on the right side of it. But then he gets into, how, why are you calling these people Marxist? 
the uh, progressive, the anti-racist, anti-fascist people. And he lays it out that Marx, you know, communism, Marxism, you're familiar with this, right? He lays out um, his view of the world. He divides society into cohesive groups. He calls them classes, which exploit one another to the extent that they're able to. A liberal political order is no different in this from any other. It tends toward uh, more than one class, one of which owns property, controls pretty much everything, while the other is exploited, the fruit of its labor appropriated, so it can't advance, remains forever enslaved. This is Marx's ideas. In addition, Marx sees the state itself, its laws, and its mechanisms of enforcement as a tool that the oppressor class uses to keep the regime of oppression in place. Now, wait a minute. Does that... Is that sound familiar to you at all? America was built on systemic racism. And if you defend American institutions, you're a racist. That's straight out of Marx. The state is a tool the oppressor class uses. And then, well, we can skip over that part. But then he his, his order is that we reconstitute society completely through revolutionary tearing down of all the systems. Then the workers will be in charge, and they will build a utopia. Deconstructing all the systems and, and everything that exists, family, all structures. Exactly. All structures have to be torn down to rebuild the new utopia. And he mentions, the author does, that uh, Marx, neither Marx nor anybody else, really makes it clear... How are you going to build a utopia when we're all human beings and human beings are going to behave the way human beings behave? You get power. And and listen, this is not a theoretical discussion. If you know anything about the 20th century, you're going to take power. Then you're going to behave as badly or worse than the so-called oppressors are right now. How come how come more people don't know what Marx was like? You know, we did that podcast called Marx Was a Piece of Ass. Yeah. Um, about, it's one of our better ones. About that book, uh, Heaven on Earth. And I didn't, I knew, I knew enough about Marxism to know it was a bunch of crap just as a philosophy, but I didn't know about him personally. He was, he was a, he was a loser his whole life. He never earned any money himself. He lived off of people. He lived in debt. He made other people, you know, wife's parents, his parents, friends, loan him money his whole life. He may, he's just a loser. Yeah. How come more people don't realize that? And a leech. Well, I'm sorry, and, and, tuned in late. You're describing me and my friends? What, what's going on? <laughs> so another another point that the author makes that I thought was so good and, and so true is that Marx and the current neo-Marxists act as if that power imbalance is always oppression. As opposed to, as Milton Friedman might point out, well, yeah, I mean, the owner of the factory might have more power over the worker, or the landlord has more power than the tenant, or whatever, but they both are deriving benefits from it, and both have a say in the political system that sets the rules, and if it is exploitive and unfair, we have great mechanisms for making it less so. And everybody has an an interest in continuing the relationship, maybe with altered terms, but they have the power to do that in our society. And I'm, I'm going to skip ahead here just because I can't resist. He makes the point at the end, and you see this everywhere. The neo-Marxists have completely departed from the American tradition of, if the other party gets power, I recognize its legitimacy, they won. They get to be in charge for a while. But by golly, we're going to try our best to win that next election. We're going to criticize them when it's due. 
And then when we win the next election, because we have better ideas and a more compelling vision or, or a better brand of bull crap, you know, frankly, we all know how politics works. But when we win that election, they will recognize our legitimacy and we'll get to be in charge for a while. And the renters might get more power vis-a-vis the landlords. The neo-Marxists, like the Marxists before them, utterly, viciously reject the legitimacy of anybody but the one party. They don't want two or more parties. They want one party. And to get back to the history of Marxism, that's why they become so utterly brutal. There is nobody with legitimacy that can oppose them. They will beat you, kill you, put you in a gulag, or whatever. And it's so good, and I'd urge you to read the whole thing. It's a beast. It's fairly long. It's it's like one of your 10,000-word Atlantic pieces. It, it probably took me half an hour, and I read really fast. Um, it's Marxism with new terminology, but all of the same techniques, all of the same goals, and all of the brutality. Do they know they're Marxists? Do they think about that? Or does their ideology just, do they just kind of slide into this? I would argue that more of them know it than you than people might think. I mean, the founders of Black Lives Matter, the organization, are avowed Marxists. But so they've the people- just tra- changed the terminology to fit modern society. And instead of ranting about class all the time, they've made it about race. Do you think? But do you think they know they're Marxists, or did they like come across something that is Marxism? And they don't even know it. Who? The, the Black Lives Matter people, for Well, they're, they're trained Marxists. They're, I've seen the interviews where they say, oh, yeah, we're avowed trained Marxists. Do you think they tell the people beneath them they're Marxists? Or do they just try to make it about Black Lives Matter and, and let them, you know, go? The, the guy that kicked the poor dude in the head in Portland, does he think he's a Marxist? Uh, I, I wonder. think. Not that it makes any difference. I just wonder. I, I think they're they're staying away from the term Marxist because it's still recognized as loathsome. Yeah, it's so loaded. They're, that's why they use all those different terms they're anti-fascist they're anti-racist um well i get that i certainly get the university crowd and everything like that staying away from the term right and knowing exactly what they are i just wonder how many people uh, do do people do lazy people who want what other people have without working for it just sort of naturally come by this ideology well as you know i mean the answer is mostly yes as you know every uh, communist regime and and marx himself and lenin talked about this you have to impose Marxism on the masses because they're stu- too stupid to adopt it. You have to force them into it, and you have to hurt them or kill them or put them in gulags if they resist it. It's for their own good, but it has to be imposed from above. Yesterday, I think, was the anniversary of Animal Farm being published or something like that, so it mm-hmm. was in the news briefly. But I was listening to Professor James Lindsay's podcast yesterday on this whole um, uh, colonial math, ma- mathematics thing, math- arithmetic with an X at the end. Yeah. And it's the idea that two plus two does not equal four, two plus two equals five. And he got into it, and it's long and complicated, similar to the article you were just talking about. I mean, it's so much of it was over my head. But the way I distilled it down was the Marxist crowd out there, it's just like a signal. If you say two plus two is four, you're signaling to people you believe in. Um, white superiority and patriarchy. You believe white men should run the world because white men came up with mathematics in their world, even though that's not exactly even true. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, As my kid put it, we use Arabic numerals, which are actually from India. 
But it's just a signal. It's it, it's not that they actually believe most of them. Some of them have some weird math to make this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of them don't actually think that two plus two doesn't equal four. It's just like a, it's just a it's a way of saying, uh, look, I'm on board with white males, or I'm not. Whether or not you're going to say two plus two equals five, it's a code word. It's straight out of Animal Farm. It's just it's just saying peace is war and war is peace. It's just and if you go along with it, you're on the right side. And if you say that doesn't make any sense, you're on the wrong side of it. Right, and they know it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, the I, way he's being savaged on Twitter for saying two plus two equals four. Period. That's all there is to it. Just savaged by academics around the world. Wow. For saying that, it's wow. crazy. I mean, it will it will it will almost make you feel like you're going insane. Yeah, I don't want y'all to think we're going crazy here. I'm serious about this, and I want to. When we come back, I want to talk about the flaws that make Marxism fatal, and you'll recognize a lot of what's going on now in it. I seriously think there is a battle going on right now. Um. For the soul of the country, whether we will continue to be a classical liberal democracy with competing ideas or we will become a one-party system. I actually think that's possible. Now I understand how it happens. And we're in the early-ish stages of it. But ask anybody who works at the New York Times at a university, are you afraid to challenge the neo-Marxists? And they will, to a person, say yes. So the fatal flaws of this philosophy coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, the president may hate the post office, but he's still going to have to send them a change of address card come January. Boom! Amy Klobuchar still working the mom jokes at the Democratic convention. So coming up, what we have to get to next half hour, uh, the Trump campaign or whoever did, I don't know who paid for it, uh, dropped an ad against Joe Biden that I thought was pretty powerful. Um, uh, and then we gotta, we gotta run that ad from that Republican black woman in Maryland who's running for Congress. Really thought provoking stuff. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Really good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to all of that this hour if we can cram it in. I just want to return for a minute or two to this piece by Yoram Hazoni, who's a, 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 a Jewish scholar. He's in Jerusalem. He's the author of The Virtue of Nationalism, uh, et cetera. But, um, I'm going to skip to kind of the the end of it, the punchline. We are absolutely in a war with neo-Marxists for the soul of this country. And all of the people leaving the New York Times, being run out of universities, afraid to speak their piece, um, or who go along with forcing students to sign anti-racism pledges, they're classical liberals, they're old-school liberals who are being terrorized into going along with this, or convinced that it's the right thing. And uh, the author describes, oh, and we posted this at armstrongandgetty.com under hot links. It's a long read, but a good one. He says, thus the endless dance of liberalism and Marxism, which goes like this. One, liberals declare that henceforth all will be free and equal, emphasizing that reason will determine the content of each individual's rights. Two, Marxists point to many genuine instances of unfreedom or inequality in society, decrying them as oppression and demanding new rights. Okay, 
Three, liberals embarrassed by the presence of unfreedom and inequality after having declared that all would be free and equal adopt some of the Marxists' demands for new rights. Four, return to number one and repeat. The problem is the Marxists aren't participants in the give and take of liberal democracy. They want one party rule. They want to crush their opposition and they will brook no dissent. You've seen it. It's, it's everywhere online. It's cancel culture is all about that. Uh, you know, we've talked about broadcasters who've had their careers at least temporary, temporarily ended, even though what they said was quite innocent, and they immediately said, oh, if it was taken wrong, I apologize. I didn't mean that. So why do you think they would have to stay canceled? Well, it's because you're trying to spread terror. You're trying to spread the idea that anybody who stands up against these people will fall. You don't dare. It's not about justice. It's not about race. It's about power in a Marxist system coming to the United States. I swear to God, people, this is true. And some of the mayors and police chiefs in cities around the country where the rioting just won't stop are starting to catch on, but there's no reasoning with these people. Right, exactly. Wow, I've given them everything they wanted. I'm, I'm a liberal. I'm on their side, and, and still this goes on. Yeah, they're figuring it out. More on that and a bunch of other stuff on the way. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The former president let Trump have it. At a time like this, the Oval Office should be a command center. Instead, it's a storm center. All right. That's true. That's a good point. But... I don't think Bill Clinton gets to lecture anyone on what should happen in the Oval Office. Those in glass houses should not be allowed near the interns. <laughs> that's a pretty good shot. Yeah, I mean, that's that leapt to my mind the second the words came out of Clinton's mouth. No, I didn't. I didn't the see proper it. use of the Oval Office. I'm not. I'm not watching this thing. I'm only hearing uh, through the echo chamber. But I did hear a lot of the uh, the, the pundits on both sides saying, eh, "I think times have moved past Bill Clinton." Oh yeah. Why is he mm-hmm. speaking in the Me Too era? I mean, come on. Maybe it'd be better if he were a eunuch, Jack. Everything you need to know about eunuchs coming up. The word has come up on the show several times. How much lately. do I need to know about them? Well, you'll know everything you need to know about eunuchs coming up. The first male murder hornet in the U.S. has been captured in Washington State. I don't know if a male murder hornet is a big deal, but uh, well, you, you need them to make murder hornet babies. That's happened. You know, have the in vitro thing going on. I have two Wall Street Journal stories. One kind of interesting. One could change the world. This first one that's kind of interesting from the Wall Street Journal: Amazon is buying up office space like crazy around the country. I, for one, uh, welcome our Amazon overlords. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really interesting. Happy Prime Day to you, citizen. Yeah. Work from home, yeah, no right. Kidding. Amazon goes on an office buying spree. Obviously, you they have f- a barcode tattooed on your arm. Yeah, exactly. Or the back of your hand, so you can never hide it. We need to deliver you to Wisconsin by tomorrow, but I don't want to go. You don't get to choose. Get in the box. Get in the box. You will report to the Amazon mine in Wisconsin. Put this bubble wrap around your head. Get in the box. Amazon is getting ready to add 3,500 corporate jobs in offices in New York, Phoenix, San Diego, Denver, Detroit, and Dallas. 
actual office workers in uh, office space. A lot of the uh, buildings they're buying, like old Sears and JCPenney's and stuff like that, it's to have a place to store their stuff so they can get you your next day delivery and everything. But they're actually buying office space. The other Wall Street Journal story that is horrifying is uh, this. Wall Street Journal reports China will tie international vaccine distribution to reciprocal recognition of its territorial claims in the South China Sea. Oh, Uh, my Lord. In other words, they've been expanding out into the South China Sea, building these islands and calling them part of China and putting military bases on them and all that sort of stuff and saying, no, where a third of the world's shipping goes through, that's part of China. We control that now. Uh, The rest of the world has been saying, no, it's not. It's international waters. Always has been, always will be. Right. Now China's saying, we get the vaccine to cure everybody of the bat fever that we gave you. Um. Uh. Yeah. You'll we'll, you'll get the vaccine once you recognize these waters. So twelve miles offshore, international waters, and the, the shipping lanes are the busiest on earth. They literally dumped millions of tons of sand to build an artificial island, put some buildings on it, then some airstrips and all, and said, "Yeah, this is part of China." So twelve miles out in every direction, there are waters. You got to pay us. It is an astonishing. 21st century conquest. It's like it's, you know, 1703. I wish. And and Columbus is, well, Columbus 1600s, obviously, but it's the conquest of lands, in this case, the sea. I wish I could get AOC or who and everybody else, whoever was bringing up colonialism, to be as concerned about China's expansion as they are about ours and England's and Spain's 200 years ago. Yeah, no kidding. No, that is astonishing. You know what's so amazing about that is how brazen, obvious, and defiant it is. Because usually she, Chairman Xi, the dictator of China, the head of the Communist Party, is uh, he, he's clever. He lures you in. He talks trade. He makes demands. Or in the case of third world countries, they lend them enormous amounts of money they can never pay back, and then they have their hooks in them. But this is just saying, you know, the most controversial and indefensible thing we've done, uh, you need to say okay to that or your people will die. Yeah, who was I read? I read it on the air the other day. I forget who wrote it. I thought it was really good. At what point do we catch on to the fact that Xi doesn't care what anybody else thinks? He's not, he's not trying to win anybody over. He's just going to force the world to go along with him. He's not trying to play nice in any way. When will people catch on to that? And that was talking about arresting um, the the media mogul in Hong Kong. Sure, that looks bad on the international stage. China doesn't care. They don't care. China is asshole. They're going to do whatever they want. Mm. Now, interesting. I tweeted the story at Ian Bremmer, and he said that takeaway is misleading. Hmm. Uh, I said this may be the news story of the century. He said that takeaway is misleading. The Wall Street hmm. Journal's takeaway or your takeaway? Uh, nice uh, that he responded to you so quickly. Wall Street Journal reports China will tie international vaccine distribution to reciprocal recognition. How, in what way is that? People are complaining that I'm misre- misrepresenting the reporting. It's right here, folks. Take away what you will. Oh, he's responding to something else. Um. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's a little more complicated and subtle, but... Okay, so uh, golly, um, the increasingly out in the open rivalry, fight, battle, war 
between the Western world and China has just gotten all that much more out in the open. Huh. These are interesting times, aren't they? Yeah, I noticed that. Holds your attention. We were talking about uh, schooling earlier, and my son's school um, starts Monday, I think. Next Monday. Is it teacher day? And whatever. I got it in the calendar. I'll know by the time it gets there. And it's definitely a lot more serious than it was last time around. But, you know, there are some concerns on the other side of it in that, uh, two, one, we mentioned, we've mentioned a bunch of times, just you're starting fresh with kids you've never met, don't have a relationship with from the get-go, which is weird. And may not have any respect for you, depending on the way they were brought up, et cetera. Two, the lot, a lot longer hours. So uh, really, you know, shortened days or shortened weeks last time around with kids. And there were a lot of people, including me, complaining that, how do you go from eight-hour school days, five days a week, to 45 minutes, three days a week, and even try to even claim that you're doing anything within the ballpark of right. uh, you know teaching kids, but now with you know much closer to a regular school day all day long on a Zoom screen, I was telling my wife last night. I said if I had to go into work tomorrow and do that, I would be dreading it. Oh boy! If I was going to be at a desk staring at a screen all day long with endless meetings, I'd think oh, I don't know if I can do this, let alone all week long. I mean, because you know at school you show up before class. You see your friends, you kind of talk about, hey, did you see that show last night? Whatever. Sure. Then you sit down for a while. There's a little break between class, and there's lunch, and then there's gym class, and you play, and then you run in. You you know, the just sit alone in your room staring at the screen all day long. And I don't know how the schools, I'm not beating up on the schools for this. I don't know how you get around it, but I would be dreading that as a grown-up. I was just, feel your soul being crushed yet? Yes, no kidding, Tucker, Tucker Carlson. I feel my soul being crushed. Absolutely. And it's so frustrating because, and I've heard it once again, more data has come in. The percentage of COVID cases that kids get that become clinically significant in any way is tiny. It is absolutely tiny, meaning it is practically meaningless that we've had 10 cases here. You seriously should say that about the common cold. We have 10 children with the cold because it will have the same outcome for the kids. They'll be perfectly fine. You can talk about spreading it to teachers or administrators or whatever, but we need to start being open and honest about that. This is not about the health of the kids whatsoever. We are sacrificing the health of the kids to protect the adults. Do you disagree? Is that putting it too strongly? I don't know. I, mean, I was trying to think. So if if he was doing in-person schooling and they sent home a note that says, you know, a couple of kids in the class got the COVID, but we're going to continue to have class. Um, would the would the logical scientific response to say, yeah, we get it, we get it. Although, you know, then it, the, the family's going to get it. Obviously, if he gets it, Although, everybody in our house is getting it. Maybe not, because they, they are continuing to think kids don't spread and shed the virus nearly as much as mm-hmm. adults do. For whatever miraculous reason. Well, I wouldn't be excited about it, though. Oh, no. Thinking he's got it is, okay, you know, how do am I feeling? How are you feeling? No. Like so many things in adult life, and, and our politics are absolutely not crafted for adults anymore. It's for childlike emotional response. But like so many things in life, you have two bad choices. Yeah. And you have to pick the one that is either the best or the least bad. But so on the schooling thing, I'm wondering if the more rigorous trying to do a much better job of educating kids thing, boy, we get a couple of weeks into this. Are parents going to start reporting? Am I going to start reporting? He just, he's like, he's so miserable. He's checked <laughs> or, out. He's a zombie. Or, yeah. you know, yeah, he can't, he can't. 
you know, I think there's a good chance of that. How long can you pay attention staring at a screen as a kid? After school, he just fires up a cigarette and stares off into the sunset. <laughs> Sips whiskey. Um, God dang it, by that third class of staring at a Zoom, I know how I'd be on sales meetings and stuff like that if I was doing that all day long. Well, oh, some of you are doing that I'd all day quit. long. I'd quit. Um, and, and arguably, you and I have somewhat adult discipline. Right. Um, yeah, I, it's an, you've been yelling that we need to recognize out loud that last year was a disaster. Yeah. The the end of the, the spring semester Nobody's, was a disaster. N- nobody is at any level is saying that out loud. Right. That was terrible. And and y'all have my sympathy who are trying to do this, deal with this, and I mean that. I'm talking about teachers, administrators, uh, and and parents. Um because you're trying your best to do something that's incredibly difficult. And it may well be it's undoable. This solution you have found is not a solution at all. It will not work. It cannot work. As I've said, kids have been gathering together to learn for thousands of years for good reason. Yeah. I mean, partly because, you know, the village elder wasn't going to go to every single house and repeat the same lesson. I get that. But also the nature of children, they want to be together. They want to relate. They want to trade their energy. They want to have fun. They want to talk. And in between, you can instruct them pretty effectively. Have them sitting there, staring at a screen, no matter how captivating it is. Eventually, the kid's going to get tired of it and check out. So have you seen how they're doing it in Mexico? I have not. They have all the schooling uh, on TV. And you, you just you go to that channel and you watch it. Mm. Um, and then you can watch it whenever you want. And, uh, you know, they have nationalized school, which we would all rail against here in the United States and for good reason. Um, but I'm wondering, because one thing they mentioned in the uh, the school stuff was all this stuff will be taped and you can go to the website anytime you can watch it. Maybe that's a better way to do it is you just, you know, you psych yourself up to get to, OK, I'm going to do an hour of this class. Right. I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to take a break. I'm going to skateboard out in the yard. I'm going to do that. Perfect. Gauge your own kids' rhythms and momentums and energy. And Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. That might be the better way to do it. In fact, I'm ready to call it muy bueno. <laughs> Muchas gracias. De nada. If you're, if you're watching Mexican television, you know, and certainly if you're over like the age of 13 as a boy, you're going to be switching over to a Spanish soap opera. Telenovela. Oh, yeah. Looking yeah. at the hot chicken the, shirt. The heaving bosoms. Sabado gigante. <laughs> They got the heavenest bosoms I've ever seen on TV. Shortest skirts, highest heels, and they're soap operas of anywhere on earth. Fantastic. Um, uh, Make the kid fill out a form and call it health class. I don't know. Human reproduction. I do like hearing from you, you know, if your kids, uh, how they're doing it at your school and how it's going. I think we get a couple of weeks into this, this more rigorous school with all the Zoom classes. Oh, my God. I would dread that. As a grown-up, I would dread that. (sighs) Oh. How many days into it before he thinks, you know, he's like Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes, kill me, kill me now. Uh, I I just think we're searching for a solution that doesn't include kids at school trading the vid. And I'm not sure that solution exists. hmm. I think we're chasing a phantom. So we're going to have a generation of kids that uh, sign their name with an X? Don't know what time it is. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant at all. You ask him what time it is. I don't know. They can't find their ass on a map. Never mind, you know, Iran. Oh, Sam gets into state capitals this this year. Finally. (laughs) Fantastic. Invaluable knowledge. (laughs) Pierre, South Dakota, et al. (laughs) We started, uh, my wife and I are quizzing each other, and we got a whole bunch of them wrong and just wondering, why why did we do this every year? Well, then weren't you embarrassed? No, I thought, who cares? doesn't matter. If I ever need to know, I'll look it up. What now? (laughs) 
If, if you want to do business in, 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 in Illinois, you'll just drive all around for days asking, is this the capital? Is this the capital? Until perchance you accidentally get to Springfield? Idiot! Teach those kids! Armstrong and Getty. Jesus did heal a slave once, but not to free him, to get him back working. Because this is how slavery was back then. They didn't see it as a problem because no one did. And if you had been back there, you wouldn't have either. You're not better than Jesus or Ulysses S. Grant. You just came later. Love that from Bill Maher's uh, show Friday night. Old school liberal. If you didn't hear the first half of this hour, I beg you, please go to armstrongandgetty.com and and listen to the podcast. You may want to read the article we were talking about. Just a quick follow-up on it. There are neo-Marxists, Marxists who are trying to take over the country. They are masquerading as anti-fascists, anti-racists, critical race theory people, whatever. Maybe you're scratching your head about. Wait a second, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. Everybody said we've got to uh, we've got to judge people by the content of their character, not make it about race all the time. The reason for that is the same reason the Marxists always talk about class. If the you know if the bourgeoisie and the proletariat and you know all those terms, if they all get along pretty well and they're all benefiting from the relationship and there's mobility, then you're never going to have a Marxist revolution. You've got to keep people in their class, and you can't possibly admit that there's compromise. Otherwise, you're not going to get a revolution going. That's why the the current anti-racist, either racist or anti-racist people, are the way they are. It's incredibly important to them that we're, that we're separated by race. That's the only way they'll get the revolution and get power. That's why it's so different. Don't fall for it. It's not about race. It's not about justice. It's about power, and it's about Marxism. You know what one of the problems is with my uh, eyeglasses? What's I, that? I can see I see better without them than with them, and I have bad eyesight. It's hard to justify yeah. wearing them. It, it, it really is. Um, anyway, we got this text. Or, you know, I, I guess this is a problem everybody has because I have bifocals, but the, the reading ones, are I'm too far away from the computer screen, and then mm-hmm. the distant ones, I'm too close, and it's just no good. Oh. Do you have to have the transition lens to look at a computer screen with glasses on? you got to lean over the counter there and move your microphone. Or hold it up to your face like a weirdo? I don't know. Like a weirdo? People with bad eyesight are weirdos in your book? Absolutely. Wow. Lack of character. Wow. Okay. Um, we got this text. I can't see far or close. <laughs> um, like a weirdo. Exactly. <laughs> I was having a conversation with my woke daughter about socialism, and I was bringing up historical examples of the horrors it has brought. And she said to me, are you fact-shaming me? College has ruined her. Is that an actual thing to say, fact are you fact-shaming me? me? Is that oh a thing? Oh, my God. I've heard that expression before, but... Was wh- she kidding, or is that a thing? No. That's a thing? No. that that uh, You know, I'm not familiar with it, but that sounds utterly authentic in the, you know, the neo-Marxist vocabulary. You can't... You can't ever recognize the validity of the other side. 
You can't say, look, you have a good point, but I don't think it'll work. In the same way we were talking earlier, you can't recognize that the other party has won the election and it's legitimate. Should that sound, sound familiar to you? Delegitimizing the other party, saying they, they stole power, they shouldn't be in power, they don't get to uh, be in charge? She could be further down that road of uh, uh, there's really no such thing as facts. There's just lived experience, and my lived experience is my fact. And so um, your facts come from books written by white straight males or something like that. I feel like with younger people, there's a real parents who cried wolf thing about socialism. There, There has been a constant beat of a lot of programs have been rhetorically dismissed by conservatives as, oh, that's socialism, that's communism. Mm. Anybody who got, they, they have brought in the window of what it is, and they're describing policies and politicians that young people like. And so they think, well, then I guess I'm that. Yeah, I, yeah, okay, I get that. I get that. Um, uh, that is a problem with ever when you start calling everything a certain thing, is that when it actually happens, you can't get anybody's attention. Right, it's the you, classic you boy. Like yeah. the, the, the counter argument to that, because we have very little time, yeah. Sean, is that it was uh, unquestionably a road toward socialism. It's one more step toward it, you know. But you know, the fact remains: yeah, if you overstate your point, people tend to tune you out. The reverse of that would be if you say George Bush is about to be Hitler constantly for eight years. When Trump comes along, who's not Hitler? Right. But you say it again. I mean, okay, whatever. Every call, Republican's a racist. You call every Republican Hitler. So yeah. I get it. Armstrong and Getty.